Well, hello there and welcome. My name is Kylie Patchett and I'm your host and welcome to the Wild and Finally Fucking Free podcast. This show is all about sharing the real and raw stories from women who have undergone midlife metamorphosis, taken a leap of faith or broken the ties that bind them in patterns of staying stuck, small and like their needs don't matter. You see, I believe that the years leading up to and during menopause are a rite of passage, a deep invitation after so many years of giving our time, attention and energy to others to carve out the same time, energy and attention in ourselves, in our health, our love, our connection, our vitality, our purpose, our real needs and deep desires. You know, those ones lying dormant underneath all the duty, responsibility, pushing, striving and achieving of our 20s and 30s? You see, at this stage in our lives, we find ourselves shifting identity potentially, no longer caring as much what other people think and left wondering why on earth we have not given ourselves permission to do life in the way we truly want to. In this show, I speak to the women brave enough to truth talk their own midlife shedding skin stories and the healers and helpers who help them transition through these crossroads of change. This is the midlife magic you didn't even know you needed, and I am so freaking glad you found us. Let's dive in. Hello, beautiful people. It's Kylie, obviously. (laughs) Before we dive into this episode, I wanted to give you a little reminder that if you haven't already listened to it, episode 33... Uh, is actually me sharing a bit about my own mental health slash mood journey uh, in perimenopause and how it has woken me back up to the fact that I had quite forgotten to look after some of my really basic human needs. (laughs) Like, I don't know, good sleep hygiene, making sure I was eating regularly and my blood sugar was even, um, and taking time out to have fun and to rest. And yeah, if you're anything like me and you're finding that the perimenopause symptoms are buffeting you around a little, then I have created something very special for you. It is a 55-page, yes, kind of grew, (laughs) 55-page guide. It's full of really simple, straight-talking, back-to-basics self-care for perimenopause and beyond. Um, It includes information about what you can expect with perimenopause and the biology behind the changes. So if you're a while owner like me, that's really cool to understand. Uh, It's got the back to basic self-care anchors, which will allow us to navigate perimenopause, the roller coaster, with a little bit more of an even keel. I've also included the bullshit stories which stop us taking care of ourselves, particularly when our perimenopause symptoms make us feel just like like just not like ourselves right and also an invitation to become more gentle and more self-compassionate towards ourselves so if you're like me and you have been yeah in some stormy seas lately please take advantage this is a totally free guide I just put together all of my yeah years and years and years of holistic health and mindset and mind body breath wisdom into one 55 page guide You can grab your free copy uh, on the pod page, which is www.kyliepatchett.com.au. All right, let's dive into the show. Hello, hello, everyone. I have the lovely, lovely Claire Connolly. She's actually sitting on a yoga bolster with a cup of tea, looking very zen, which is very appropriate. Hello, Claire. How are you? Hi, Kylie. Very well. I'm so excited to um, speak with you today because I know bits and pieces of your story, but there's a lot that I'm like, oh, I really want to ask this. So I'm just, as usual, trusting how our conversation will unfold. So before we begin, would you like to introduce you yourself to our listeners? Uh, Thank you. And thank you for having me on the podcast. Uh, my first interview ever, so <gasps> exciting, nerve-wracking, a little bit exciting. Um, I'm a Canberra girl, Canberra-born, mm-hmm. and um, uh, I've done a few things in my life. The main thing that I had was a graphic design artist for about 10 years. 
but I've moved from that and I'm now into the wellness space. So I'm a yoga instructor and wellness coach. And that happened uh, in 2016. Um, yeah, so here I am. I've got my yoga studio in my backyard that my husband and I built a year ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's been fabulous. It means that I don't have to hire the community halls anymore. Yes, amen. I'm still at that stage, so uh, one day maybe. <laughs> so I can literally put the dinner on the stove and walk up the back and teach a class and then walk back into the kitchen. Good. I've actually seen a photo of your beautiful yoga space and I'm like, oh, my goodness, if I ever find myself in Canberra, I'm definitely coming to do some classes with you. So very exciting. Um, I am interested to hear, actually, already I want to ask 58 different questions, but let's start with the key question that I usually do ask, which is when you when I invited you onto the to the show what was the big change or shift that was kind of in your mind and heart to be sharing around I think it was around my own health Mm -hmm. Um, and the the change that needed to happen yeah when I was feeling very burnt out after running the graphic design studio for um, nearly 10 years Mm. And at the same time, around that time, I was going through perimenopause. Did you know that you were at the time? Sorry to interrupt. Oh, yes. Yep. Okay. Good, good. Because sometimes people are like, I didn't even know what it was. So you did know that that was what you were going through? Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, And how was your experience in terms of the physical slash emotional slash spiritual slash everything else that comes with that beautiful ride? (laughs) Ah. I was really moody and um, I'm just unsure about when my next period was going to come and when it did, it was really heavy and awful and, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a little bit traumatic in some way because there was a lot of other things happening in my life as well. Yeah. Um, so just navigating through my own uh, physical changes and emotions um, my moods were definitely affected. Mm-hmm. I wasn't the easiest person to be around. Uh, yeah, it was a it was a pretty moody time, I have to say. And so, do you feel like the burnout was a combination of, you know, the time had come to move on from that business, or was it very perimenopause kind of precipitated, or what do you feel like was the? Cause? I think it was. A- combination of things but I think it was mostly around the business and that Mm. was causing a lot of stress Mm -hmm. um I just really had enough and I wasn't sure what to do and I felt like I had I had to keep working um but the other thing that happened around the same time was my husband was diagnosed with Parkinson's in Mm. it was 2014 so I had turned 50, Mm -hmm. he was 52, and, yes, I was dealing with that um, and it was just, it was a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I I think perimenopause by itself is a lot and then you add on something massive like that and at such a young age too because, you know, um, do you have children? I don't actually know with you. Yes, we have two daughters. Yeah. Um, so were they still at home or were you empty nesting and looking forward to the next stage of your life? Um, in 2014, yeah, we, we had one daughter at home still mm-hmm. and then she moved out um, maybe a year later. Yeah. Wow. So lots and lots of change as usually happens around the perimenopause. What, um, how... Oh, there's so many things that I want to ask and please just answer whatever feels comfortable. So that, that's always going to be the caveat in these conversations. When your husband was diagnosed, what was your perimenopause-flavoured response? Because we we kind of know that for a lot of us, the you know our tolerance for stress and our emotional bandwidth gets smaller when yeah. we're going, and particularly when we're going through 
the first kind of part of perimenopause, which is that like separation sort of stage where it's like, I'm, I don't know who I am anymore. I don't feel the same anymore. My periods are all over the bloody place. Um, how well did you cope with that diagnosis? I think I went into denial to start with. Mm. And I just, I didn't cope well because I just didn't want to face it. Uh, I, our, our dad um, also had Parkinson's, so I kept sort of looking at dad and then looking at my husband thinking, I can't, that can't be right. And I, I can't see my husband with Parkinson's because my dad has it. And how, you know, what, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> Punishment. Like, and how have I ended up with two, like I would imagine my response would be, are you freaking kidding me? Yeah. Like, yeah. I've seen the impact on my dad. Um, It was awful. And then I think the thing that um, I sort of woke up to, and it probably took two years from the diagnosis, was suddenly I realised that I was not only a wife, I was going to become a carer. And I really wasn't sure if I wanted to take on that role, Mm. to be perfectly honest. Yeah. So I went into a bit of fight or flight, mm-hmm. and I think that's really when I burnt out because I was um, I was just so unsure about our future and his illness and whether mm-hmm. I, what I could cope with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just I really wanted to run away. Yeah, yeah. I am. Um, I have dealt with that dance before been a carer in many different for parents and for kids with chronic health conditions and also as a wife and it's um yeah I totally relate to that like my role the role that I chose the role that I thought that I was getting and the role that I'm willing to fulfill (laughs) by definition is partner wife friend lover no one told me there was going to be a carer bit in there how does that work yeah, and I didn't I, sign up for this. Yeah, I didn't sign up for this. And um, I look back now and I think a large part of me was really angry and really resentful of like, well, I think for my personal journey it was because it had happened so many times that I needed to, you know, turn all of my attention outwards to take care of someone else's needs. I now see for my in, in hindsight, I can see that there was, I learnt to be very codependent as a kid. And so there was a lot of ways where I kind of overgave and overcared and over everything anyway, even as a carer. So I think, you know, I have to own my sort of end of that. But I was angry and resentful and like I didn't, exactly what you just said, I'd sign up for that. I did not sign up for that. And then feeling guilty because then you have those feelings. And so it's like I've got nowhere to go in my head. There's no safe place for me to land. Yeah. And to do it at the same stage as perimenopause where I I find, well, certainly at this stage that my, like I can be, you know, good and even and chilled and relaxed like I usually have been in the past and then the next day be completely unable to cope, (laughs) like completely. So yeah. when you look back at that, do you how do you how do you feel about the journey for yourself? Because I imagine, you know, coming out the other side, would you identify yourself as postmenopausal now? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So can you look back? How do you look back at 50? You said 50, didn't you? So 50-year-old Claire. How do you feel when you look back at her? I have a, a little bit of Sympathy, empathy. Mm. Um, yeah, because it wasn't just perimenopause. There was, you know, McClough's diagnosis. The girls had, had left home or were leaving home. So that's the other thing that, that uh, you know, after we married 30, uh, 38 years this year. Yeah, wow. Um, so suddenly you become a couple again. Yes. And you sort of, we were left in this big house um, 
both daughters had left home. Nicole's mum, who I'd nursed through cancer, had passed away. And we sort of left looking at each other going, who the hell are you? Mm. You know, like I'd just really forgotten how to even relate to him, um, you know, with just the two of us. Yeah. So it was also about trying to re-establish our relationship Mm. as a couple. Mm -hmm. And what the rules are when you don't have kids and, and everyone else to take care of, like, you know. What, yeah. what, what, how does this dynamic even work? I remember actually looking at my husband and I, I feel like I'm right smack bang in the middle of that as, as well. But I feel like about this time last year, I was like, shit, okay. One of ours has left school and left home. One's just about to, well, how, who are you? <laughs> Literally like, who is this alien? We've only been married 20, what are we up to? 23 years. It's 27 years and two days since our first date. There you go. Um, But, yeah, it's a long, when you do that parenting thing for 18 years, like that's a lot of time, isn't it? And the rules are different and the engagement's different and the connection is different. Yeah. You've just started that dance. Doesn't that? Yeah. Yeah. So you're starting to do that dance. You get a diagnosis. How has your relationship changed if you look backwards like 37 years that's such a beautiful thing what a gift to be able to look at that many years together how has the diagnosis impacted well it's not even just the diagnosis isn't it because you can't separate it out but how has your relationship changed what does that look like now I feel it's very much um Uh, it has it has shifted. Mm-hmm. So I'm playing more of a carer role. Yeah, and I don't feel as as much. Um, how shall I say? That you know, my husband was my protector. My mm. um, he was the masculine energy in the relationship, and he still is. Mm-hmm. But it's not as dominant. Mm-hmm. So my um, masculine side has to come through a lot mm-hmm. more than I probably would normally. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, f- I find that tricky. And I think I was trying to explain to him one day that even throughout the day, I moved from being his friend, his wife, and then suddenly. At different times during the day, I'm, I'm definitely the carer, so I'm, you know, really helping him mm. through his day. Yeah. And then I get to the end of the day and I'm exhausted and I haven't had a whole lot of support back. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, it's it's still challenging and I'm still kind of working out who I am in this relationship. And Yeah how it's going to look going forward, but it's definitely a different relationship. Mm. Yeah. It's still a good, I mean, we we love each other and we're really good friends, but it's not what it was. Yeah. Yeah, by by definition, because as soon as someone has something that affects their capacity, everyday, everyday living capacity, it has to change. That's, And I think that that's why even... Even with people, because I know a lot of people of our age, and you also went through this this dance of, you know, having ageing parents that are unwell, putting them into aged care, whatever. Even if the person that you have been caring for then, you know, moves, like if it's a parent and they move into aged care, it's not like the exhaustion of the caring disappears. It just kind of changes to a more emotional exhaustion rather than the physical getting to the toilet, getting in the car, getting to bed or whatever it used to be. Um, And you find, um, and you find yourself also in a helping healing role as a yoga teacher as well. Do you find that that's an exhaustion or a cup filler for you? It's, 
it's a bit of both. Mm. I, I sort of feed off it. Yeah. Um, but it does. I've got to be careful that I don't let it deplete me. Yeah. Yeah, so it's got to be with boundaries. Yeah, and that's still a work in progress. But just as an example, I'm pretty aware of my energy levels and when I'm feeling a little depleted. Yes. So yesterday I did uh, have three yoga classes Mm -hmm. throughout the day, Yeah. short ones and then a long yin class in the evening. So Mm -hmm. I was exhausted this morning. Yeah. And I woke at 4 4 a.m., couldn't get back to sleep, so I got up and had a cup of tea and had a read and then I went back to sleep and I didn't actually wake until quite late. And then I stayed in bed until about 10.30 this night and drank more tea. So that to me, that's my self-care and that's um, that's what I needed. My body was really asking for more sleep and just Mm. quiet time yeah and so not having to hold space if I honor that then yeah. I'm okay it's mm-hmm. when I ignore it and yeah. I just keep going that I really burn out quickly so thinking about your burnout that you were talking about when you were in graphic design has your relationship with self-care also changed because obviously you know definition is the not definition sorry burnout is the definition of i've ignored my needs long enough that my body will actually is shutting down like i, I you know that, well, that to me is my definition it's probably not the medical definition but that's what i feel like it is um what did you did you used to ignore those signs like would you have allowed yourself to back in those days sit in bed and you know nourish yourself with a cup of tea and some downtime and quiet and I didn't have time for that no yeah. On the move all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so as an example, uh, when I was running the business and running a million miles an hour, I got to 50 and, and um, my husband and I went over to Italy to celebrate my 50th. Yeah. And just before that, I had I started to smoke again. So as a younger woman, I did smoke. Mm-hmm. And then I gave it up, you know, when I had children and, yeah, I took it up a couple of times, but I gave it up pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Anyway, come age 50 or nearly 50, I decided to take it up again. And that was just because I was so stressed out. I needed some sort of advice uh, and that was it. So we got to Italy and... I loved it because you could smoke at all the restaurants and the cafes. Oh, yeah. Up and like a cigarette, so I smoked my way around Italy. <laughs> I had a dream of going cycling in Italy for my fiftieth. You are painting a slightly different oh, picture, Claire. <laughs> and I adored it with the full intention of giving that up when I got home, mm-hmm. but uh, that didn't happen. Mm. So yeah, so probably a year, well, two years later. Um, here I was smoking again and not looking after myself at all, not eating well. I lost a lot of weight. I wasn't sleeping, you know, all the things. And it was then that I thought, oh, this is ridiculous. Um, and if, if I'm going to be a carer, I've got to look after myself. So that was sort of the, the wake-up call mm. um, because I thought if I get sick, there's no one to look after Hubby. There's no plan B. Yeah. Mm. So I really had to pull up my socks and, yeah. So where did you start? Because I know that you, you know, you made the shift out of graphic design and you say you use words kind of like I couldn't do it anymore. That was pretty much what I read when I was reading your story. But then you decide to go into health and wellbeing What's the what was the um, process of that? Like you're smoking your way around Italy, you come home and what straight away decide? No, you said two, a couple of years later. So there was a there's a bit of time in between. We got the diagnosis for um, my husband, yeah. and I'm back at work. You know, trying to make the business work. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, staff are leaving, some key staff, and and I just feel like you know it's starting to crumble. Um, 
And what else happened? And um, our daughter left home, so we decided to downsize mm-hmm. into a smaller home. Mm-hmm. And that was when I said to my husband, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this business. It's just there's no life in it. You know, um, things have an energy about them and it sort of felt like it was dying. Yeah. Right. That I want out. I need mm-hmm. to do something else. Mm-hmm. And he said, I didn't realise how unhappy it was making you feel. And I said, yeah, it mm-hmm. really is um, sapping all my energy at the moment. So we made the decision together to um, to close it down. Actually, I ended up selling it, which was really great. Yay, that's good. But just before that, um, I started, because I had been practising yoga, Yeah, I started to look at doing my yoga teacher training and it mm-hmm. was really more just for myself. Mm-hmm. So I got into that in 2016 yeah. and did that um, here in Canberra and I loved it. I was still smoking at the time. It's <laughs> a yoga course. The philosophy that we started before we came face-to-face in that course that um, I thought, oh, my God, gosh, I can't I can't be a yoga teacher. If I'm going to be a yoga teacher, I can't be a yoga teacher smoking. Like just, mm-hmm. It just doesn't yeah. go hand-in-hand to me. Um, and if you're, you know, trying to walk your talk, then something's got to give. So if you're embodying what you're teaching. Yeah. Um, Although as you're talking, I'm thinking, hmm, I learnt to smoke when I worked with a whole heap of respiratory nurses in sleep medicine because you did 12-hour night shifts and to keep yourself awake, you'd go out in the cold, suck the end out of a cigarette. And I'm like, and then we used to go back in and watch people with respiratory disease sleeping. Like how crazy is that? But I honestly didn't even see the hypocrisy of what I was doing at the time. I think I was just so bloody tired and so obsessed with earning money to put myself through uni. So it's amazing what you can not see when you don't want to see. <laughs> so you did you you gave up smoking pretty much straight away or what was it? Pretty much straight away. Yeah. yeah. I just I just thought if I'm going to be authentic mm. um and true to myself, I've got to I've got to be healthy. Yeah. And smoking just yeah, it wasn't working anyway. Yep. So yeah, it was really the um, yeah the yoga teacher training that was the catalyst yeah. for my big change. Um, and I just I loved that course so much. Mm-hmm. It just seemed to come at the exact right time in my life. Mm-hmm. It gave me you know not just the physical part of yoga, as you know, being a yoga teacher, but that whole philosophy. Um, I just really soaked that up. Yeah. Yeah. I totally relate to that. I did my, I only did my yoga teacher training in 2019, just before COVID. So I started classes in January and stopped them in March because the whole world (laughs) shut down. So that was a great start. Um, But it, for me, it was at exactly the right time as well, because it was a stretch, same sort of thing. I, you know, practiced yoga for many, 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 many years on and off, on and off, like, you know, greater intensity, less, blah, 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 different styles. And um, to me it was the timing for me was a lot more about the, yeah, the philosophy and the living as yoga rather than just doing the asanas, which is how I'd really just been doing yoga before that. Um, And, yeah, it's a funny thing, isn't it, when you start studying stuff like that, it, becomes more and more easy to spot where you're getting in your own way because you're not actually looking at yourself holistically. You're like, oh, yeah, I can push myself at work in a job that I absolutely hate just to earn money. It's like, mm, no, that's not really working. Let's be honest. <laughs> so um, what was it like to start your yoga? Actually, did you go, you must have gone online through the whole COVID thing. Or did Canberra have bad lockdowns? Um, Pre-COVID, so it was 2016 I started training Mm -hmm. and I was very fortunate because I think we were one of the last groups to go through this training. Yeah. So we did it. I can't remember how we did it. Now I think it was um, every weekend 
Mm-hmm. And then we did a block of a week or two mm-hmm. weeks. Yeah. Pretty intense towards the end. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I really loved it. And I loved being face-to-face. There was a little bit online, but most of it was face-to-face, which was great. Yeah, you really can't beat the magic of face-to-face. I know that we've adapted and there's lots of things that you can do, but there's still, like, I don't, I've never, ever taught yoga online and I do intend to, but I just, the magic of people being right in front of you and the energy of being in a room of people and the impact that, you know, particularly women sharing with other women, like, you know, as they came to the room, as they leave the room, you know, all of that magic not the same as being at home with a computer screen in front of you and yeah of course online is better than nothing (laughs) I would always say that but yeah um how else is your because you said before when you were doing the business that didn't feel good you were also you know not eating well not sleeping etc so what was the impact of starting yoga for yourself so obviously it's part of nourishing you but what else happened as a result because you're doing this yoga thing and I'm just interested it's like a domino right usually so (laughs) what was the domino effect um I I think I became a lot more embodied so I felt like I was very disconnected from my body Mm. and it's sort of really abusing my body actually Mm -hmm. um to make myself feel better because I felt so crappy, mm-hmm. as you do. So, you know, I was drinking the wine and smoking the cigarettes and hoping that that would make me feel better and it would all go away, but um, it didn't. If only it were that simple. <laughs> For the first time in my life doing the yoga teacher training, I really felt embodied mm. and I'd never felt that before. And I started to listen to my body mm. for the first time ever. Um, so I'd notice, I just noticed, you know, if it was hunger I was feeling or thirst because often you think you're hungry and you're not, you're just dehydrated. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah, just and making better choices about what I was fueling my body with. Mm. Um, yeah, just that holistic way of living I think and even just what you said before responding to the feeling of uh, I am actually quite depleted today and not choosing to push through it's interesting this morning I had um a group call for um the coming home collective which is a membership that I run and this so the collective chooses a theme for each month which is cool because it's like a choose your own adventure like we never know what's coming but this month was um someone had said that she feels like she's self-rejecting. And so we had this huge conversation this morning in the call about the difference between self-rejection, self-neglect, and then, you know, self-acceptance, self-love, like this sort of continuum. And one of the big things that came up is exactly what you're saying is just not being connected to our bodies and our needs. And so therefore having absolutely no chance of having a life that feels you know, fulfilling and nourishing and, um, you know, having a sense of calm or self-trust. Because, like, to me, what you're talking about really, the more that you listen to your body, you know, feel the need or heal, however, you know, however you interpret the need and then respond to it, you're building self-trust by doing that because you're like, I've got your back. Because no one else is flipping coming. If we're waiting for someone else to make us do self-care, stop. <laughs> like, you know, what's that? Is it Mel Robbins? It's like, no one's coming. <laughs> That's what I always think. It's like, if you're not going to go to bed early enough to get a good night's sleep, no one's going to make you. If you're not going to choose to get up and go for a walk in nature or ground yourself at lunchtime or whatever, no one's going to make you. So I think. And I think that was it too. I, I... I realise that I'm the only one responsible for my own health Mm. and self-care. As I say, no one else is going to do it. So, Isn't that a tough realisation? Because then you go, oh, I'm the one that also created the burnout by the way that I'm behaving and treating myself. And, yeah, yeah, that sucks. And also once you get over the that sucks stage, oh, that's good. That means I can change it. (laughs) It's like the other side. 
Why do you reckon it's so common for women to not be in their bodies? Like just not connected to their needs at all. Why is it so common? Mm. Um, I think because we're so damn busy taking care of everybody else. And yeah, I really think that's all it comes down to. Yeah. Can I ask you, are you, did you have a reference point? And this is, we're not pointing fingers at our mums or other female caregivers, but did you have a reference point of any female in your life when you were growing up that you actually saw taking care of her own needs? Oh, wow. Good question. Um, It's part of a theory I'm forming. (laughs) No, I don't think I do. Mm. I certainly didn't. Like if I I think about my, so my mum but also my, you know, generationally the people that I came from. So my dad was born in 1920 in the Depression, one of nine kids. His mum died early anyway, but there's no way on God's earth she was thinking about self-care. Like you you just know from that entire picture. So she would not have been well-nourished and for, you know, very good reasons like food scarcity and poverty and depression, like, you know, big reasons. My mum's family is from dairy farmers who are always, always, always working. There's no option to not work. So by definition, those types of people, like the, you know, the people that are labouring for a living, they're not sitting in bed with a cup of tea because they don't have the bloody ability to because the the lifestyle of a farmer is not not that. And then I even think about, like, if I cast my mind further afield I can't remember anyone as a kid like asking myself the same question I just don't have a reference point so to me there is no surprise that there's so many of us that because I'm like to totally relate to what you're saying like yoga was always I always knew like I started practicing pretty regularly when my kids were very very little And I always knew that I felt the most like myself on the mat. And that's what I would keep coming, you know, it's right behind me. Like that's why it's so close to me because that's always been an anchor point for me. But it was only on the mat. Like, you know, it was this space of time and I really haven't learnt how to listen and respond until just recently. And I actually think... It's partly the magic of this perimenopause stuff is that you just can't push through anymore. So you have to learn to listen. Yeah, and stop. Yeah. yeah. Because if you hadn't gone through perimenopause, well, maybe maybe what you're saying because you're kind of saying the business had kind of run out of energy. When you said that, I thought about my dad saying, you can't flog a dead horse. Like that's the kind of the picture that I got. <laughs> so maybe it had run its course anyway. But Do you reckon if you hadn't been in perimenopause, maybe you would have just leapt into something else that was just as busy and just as demanding? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Because until we actually have a reason to break the pattern, we won't break the pattern. Like there's... there's Yeah. And the pattern is still there, Kylie. Oh, me too. (laughs) I was telling a girlfriend this morning that I'm not doing... Uh, last year I was doing nanny daycare, so two days a week I was helping look after yeah. babies, mm-hmm. which I loved. But this year I'm not doing that, um, so I can spend more time on my business and helping my hubby. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've managed to fill up that time very easily and I've booked workshops and I'm doing events. And You know, if there's a little space, I'll fill it up with something. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, I'm still learning to balance. Yeah, me too, me too. I was just saying this morning I was at my desk at 8 o'clock last night for the third night in a row and I've got this self-care commitment that I'm really trying to honour that says that I will work in between these hours and only three or four days a week. 
Yeah, well, so far at the moment, there's definitely not a good boundary around that. And I'm just like this bloody pattern of pushing through, but also for me at least there's almost like um, an energy of if I don't get it done now, it won't get done. And I'm really trying one of the words that I've got chosen for this year is receptive because I'm just like if I actually wait until I have the nourished energy to do something, it's so much more easy, powerful, magnetic, like all of the things that I'm wanting and pushing to try and get, it's actually better just to wait for the energy to come. And I'm like, oh, well, I've had this mastered by the time I get to 70. I don't know. (laughs) I don't think, maybe not, maybe not, maybe not. Um, What are the gifts that you see when women come to yoga, especially the newbies? Do you have lots of newbies that that find you? Have you got mainly like very experienced yogis? What's your classes like? I've got some students who have been coming for uh, a few years, which is really nice. Nice. And or just this week or last week, actually, I've got some new ladies that are coming along. Beautiful. And yeah, that's really nice. Um, what was your question? I was just going to say, when people do come for the first time, what are they looking for? Do they know that they're not in their body or are they just wanting to do something relaxing? Like I'm always interested to see how people get to the stage where they realise that yoga could well be part of their self-nourishing. I think it takes a little while. Um, Mm. One of the girls last night, so I do a yin restorative class on a Wednesday night and had two new ladies and a woman that's been coming for a long time. Mm -hmm. And she said during the class, she said sometimes these held poses are the hardest because you've got to be with yourself. And I said, yes, I know. So I totally agree. These, these classes, are you just lying around on bolsters, you know, not doing anything? How can that be hard? Mm-hmm. Well, what's the benefit in that? But there is just so much juicy benefit to doing that. And yep. we talk about the breath and mm-hmm. fascia and, you know, how we can really calm the nervous system. So, look, they always leave feeling totally relaxed um, and like different people. Such a gift. Yeah. Such a gift. So Shout out to all the beautiful yoga teachers holding space like that. I'm not teaching at the moment. So I just, yeah, honoring all of you that are, oh, it makes me emotional. Goodness. <laughs> but, you know, being able to go somewhere and drop into actual rest and relaxation and maybe put all the other stuff that's going on in life that might be stressing you just at the door, you know, take off your shoes, take off your worries and step in and find yourself on the mat. I'm going to cry. (laughs) It's such a special thing. And I think when women have a safe place to be able to do that, that's when real healing of the nervous system can start because we have to feel safe before we will let go of anything yeah. that's traumatising or troubling us because, yeah, that's how we designed. And I just don't think, like, if you're listening to this and you are living in your head and you're not, you don't have any connection to your body, you don't know how your body's feeling, you wouldn't check in on your energy, there's an invitation here for you to find somewhere, you know, whether it's yoga or I'm not a fan of Pilates, I have to say. But anyway, that's no disrespect to Pilates. It's just not my thing. But, you know, find somewhere that you can unravel yourself and just commit to going once a week to start with, like just that little tiny opening. Um, and I totally I totally relate to the, yeah, people say, oh, I don't want to do yin, it's not challenging enough. And I'm like, well, <laughs> have you ever done a yin course? <laughs> um, because, yeah, you meet your edges when you have to stay still, particularly those of us that like to keep our time busy and our brains, you know, running around. Sorry yeah. if that hurt your ears, people listening. But um, it's a funny old thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so what do you read poetry while um, they're in the just to, you know, come out of their heads? 
I think mm-hmm. I have to come and have a class with you, Claire. <laughs> we should have a wild and finally fucking free visit, <laughs> a group visit to Claire's beautiful yoga space. Um, what sort of poetry do you read? Do you remember some uh, something that you read in the last little while that you'd like to share with us? Not well, there's a word, obviously. Um, I think it's pretty old now, called mm. She Let Go. Mm. Have you heard that one? I have. Yeah, that's nice. Can you summarise? I'm changing up the words a little bit because it's, uh, I think one of the phrases is um, she didn't write it in her daytime and I thought, oh, my God, that sounds like it's 1970. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I changed it up a bit. She didn't put it on social media. <laughs> yeah, she let go. Yeah, it's lovely. It had a, a, one of my students in tears one night. Mm. So, yeah. I'm going to find a copy of that and I'll put it in the show notes for anyone that's, or actually, yeah, a link to it in the show notes. I was going to say, I can't put the whole poem in the show notes because it'll be too long. Um, I'm interested as you're talking when, because when I said to you before, do you identify as postmenopausal? What do you reckon the shifts have been? And obviously you've made massive changes to your life, which, you know, by by definition are going to shift things anyway. What would you say to those of us like me um, in the messy middle at the moment (laughs) um, about being on the other side? Like how how do you, what's the blessing of going through the rite of passage? I think the blessing is... You have a little bit more wisdom around your body mm-hmm. and a lot more trust. Yep. Mm. Yep, yep, yep. I have a sense that there is a whole new depth of wisdom and also power that's on the other side of this for me, I feel I have little tiny, tiny, tiny little inklings and I'm like, oh, and then I fall back into the, I don't know, severe mood swings or not being able to sleep for days or whatever and I think, ah, this is horrible. But I I do feel like, and I'm starting to interview more people that are postmenopausal um, as well as people in the middle and um that's the kind of message that I'm hearing more and I'm like, okay, okay, I can hold on for that. I can hold on for wisdom and power. (laughs) Or should I say I can let go for wisdom and power because I do think that that's the surrender, isn't it? Like, yeah. And I think Um, you you have more confidence. Um, When I look back to my 40s, you know, I, I thought I was the confident businesswoman. You know, I was strutting around in the high heels, doing the thing and having the meetings. and The picture of the businesswoman. Oh, yeah. Mm. Um, doing the networking and burning myself out. Yep. But I didn't feel very confident. You know, there was always that self-doubt, always. And, I mean, even now I'm still, you know, I doubt whether I'm, teaching yoga the right right way or, you know, why didn't that student who came last week come back again? Does she hate me? You know, there's always self-doubt, but there's a lot less, I think, these days. Um, Mm. Do you reckon that comes partly from also this sense or at least my experience is starting to be I don't actually give two hoots what you think. Like I'm much more interested in how I feel about something. Um, not to be like offensive to anyone, but it's it's just like when it comes back to it, I think for me a lot of the self-doubt that I have ever experienced is about what other people will think or what other people see or what other people perceive or whatever. And now I'm like I would actually much rather be myself and be judged for that because you're going to be judged anyway um, than trying to be, yeah, the woman in, you know, the stereotype of, oh, if I'm a woman in business, I have to be in heels and I have to network and I have to do this. And I'm always, like, I always ask clients, at what cost? Like, is it something you actually want to do? Is it something that feels good? Is it nourishing? Is it, especially in perimenopause, like, do you have the resources to do this? Yeah. Would you let it go? <laughs> um, 
Yeah, and if it is something that you love, and if you love wearing high heels, like no disrespect, I haven't been in a pair of high heels for probably a decade now, and I have no intention of going back to them. But if you like them, more power to you. Um, I guess what I'm saying is I think, yeah, the lack of self-doubt I think comes from not so much seeking the approval outside of yourself or not looking for that external. Yeah. yeah. No, I couldn't give two hoots what anyone thinks actually. No. Um, anymore. No, I'd so, much rather just be myself. <laughs> it's just like take me or leave me. Um, yeah, take me or leave me. It's a very nice place to land, definitely. Okay, last question. If you were to tell our listeners something about becoming wild and free over these years of your life, what would it be? What would the key thing be that you would like to tell people? What's something that you actually, we probably just talked about it. It's like, what's something that you actually cared about before that you couldn't give two hoots about now that you're free of? Maybe it is the external approval. Yeah, I think um, worrying what everyone else thinks about you. Mm-hmm. I love that that saying that, um, what is that? Um, it's none of your business what other people think about you. Yep. It's probably not the right way around, but. Uh, and, and also finding the thing that you want to do with your with your life in terms of work, mm. um, because even after I closed, I, I sold the business. I still didn't trust that I could just teach yoga or you know just get into that wellness space and make a living from it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really think I was worthy of that. I thought mm. oh, I need to have been teaching for ten years before I can kind of claim that as my thing so I did uh, look I had I don't know three different office jobs yep Um, and they were it was a good learning curve like it was more experience and I think I needed to do them Hmm. just to work my way through all the crappity crap until I can come out the other end but looking back now if I just trusted that I could do what I'm doing now then yeah yeah I wish someone had told me that it's okay to do your own thing you don't need to hold down a crappy job that you hate getting you know terrible pay Mm -hmm. you know with toxic people and yeah um, in an environment that doesn't suit you and probably an industry that doesn't align with your belief system you know like all of the things that come with yeah working for someone else, potentially, not always, obviously. Um, it's a funny thing, isn't it? Because we we have these desires and then our fear brain says, oh, but who are you to do that? Or you're not experienced enough or you're not good enough or you don't know enough or you're not whatever. I would always 100% say if you've got the desire, there is also an equal um, capacity, uh, you know, ability to learn, expand or whatever into it. I think for me, particularly now, because I've only just restarted my business, like business 2.0, is that ignoring reality and focusing on what you are living into. And it's such a dance of like, you know, I'm holding space for what I'm growing into very deliberately and I'm claiming very deliberately. And also right now I'm not there yet. And I think that is something that I'm getting better and better at. And I obviously still, there's still a long way to go. But I think really for me to hear someone like you who is at the stage where you have created what you want to create, it's a reminder to me to focus on what you want and not on the reality right now because that's how we get in our way. That's how we stop ourselves expanding is just looking at, what you've done so far it's like well by definition you can't grow if you just look at what you've done so far like that's you know like you're in a bubble and it's the same energy that you've you know use energy and beliefs and mindset and whatever behaviors um that you've used to create what you've got already so if you want to create something different it's like that um is it einstein that says you can't solve a problem with the mindset it took to create it that's just like 
same sort of thing. You can't grow a dream with the, you know, <laughs> like the, the old belief system that got you into the job because it, That's it's so not good. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I th- thank you for the reminder. That's a little hat tip to me for, yes, for me to anchor to. I like the way you put that, though. Yeah, I've been feeling into it a lot. I just um, read, I've been telling everyone about this book, I'm in a business mastermind and our first book to read is called Quantum Vibes. It's by Suzanne Adams. Um, and it's law of attraction, like same sort of stuff as law of attraction. Just repackaged, a bit more modernized, um, broken down into easy steps. And um, one of the things that we're doing is doing like a vibe check, basically, like where are you sitting in terms of what your frequency is? And um, yeah, the frequency of being stuck in the now is definitely not, you know, if, if you're not, if you haven't created what you already want to create, then don't be stuck in the same energy. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a dance, definitely. I've actually got a sign in front of me that says my energy is my superpower because, yeah, rather than the pushing through at 8 o'clock at night, like I just said, waiting until, you know, you're nourished and your energy is aligned to creating yeah, it comes back to that trust, doesn't it? Trusting yourself, trusting that you yeah. are exactly where you're supposed to be. In this and trusting moment. your desires because yeah, so many times when I'm talking to women, particularly in the business sense, and they say, oh, I really want to, I've always wanted to do this, but that's not logical or that's not possible or that's not available to someone like me or that's not whatever. And I'm like, why? Just because you haven't done it doesn't mean it can't happen. And if you have a desire, by definition, there's an equal, you know, I guess I'm just repeating myself, but, you know, you've already got like the idea doesn't come without the ability to create it. Well, that's one of my beliefs anyway, and I think it's a good one because then it just deletes the story that you can't have it. Um, yeah, it's a very, very cool thing. Um I'm just wondering, last question, when you look back at yourself in burnout, if you had been able to fast forward to like today where you woke up and was like, nope, I'm going to take care of myself and sit and, you know, go back to bed, have my cup of tea, what would you think? What would that version of Claire be going? The burnt out one? Mm. Um. She'd probably be thinking like hell. <laughs> um, I I don't know. I I just couldn't see. I couldn't see my future at all back then. Maybe was, because you were so disconnected to yourself. I was yeah, so disconnected, mm-hmm. and I was frightened about what my life was going to look like. Yeah. With, um, an unwell husband. Yep. Very, very understandably so. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, deep bow of gratitude to you for sharing your story and also honouring the fact that even though you've shared the, the fear and the doubt in like the diagnosis and the moving into your own business and everything, you've still been able to expand out of it. I think a lot of people get stuck in the fear and they can't they can't go anywhere. Um, and I think that to me, you know, if I feel stuck, I'm like, am I making decisions from fear or love here? And you have found your way to making decisions from love. And it's just a beautiful thing to be able to share the journey with you. It's been a really lovely chat. Thank you. It's been, yeah, very cool. Very cool, very cool. Thank you so much. And um, where can, do you teach online at the moment as well? I think you do. I'm teaching online as well as face-to-face. Okay, perfect. So where can people find you? And we'll put the, the link in the show notes as well. So I have a website, yogaandwellnesscanberra.com. Yep. Beautiful. Excellent, excellent. So if you're listening to this and you are going, oh, wow, I have never experienced feeling in my body, please do something about it. (laughs) There's an invitation. Go find a beautiful yoga teacher. Um, Go and check Claire out online or especially if you're in Canberra. I know there's a lot of listeners in Canberra. I was just looking at my stats last night about where in Australia people tune from and Canberra is one of the big 
it's actually second after Brizzy. So that's oh. cool. Yeah. So thank you so much. And we'll speak to you soon. Thanks so much for tuning into another episode. And I trust you're walking away with inspiration, aha, maybe some chiropractic adjustments of the soul where you've realized perhaps some ways that you're getting in your own way or something that needs to be healed or something that's calling to you that your heart really, really wants to birth or create or step into in this second cycle of life. And if that's you, I am throwing my arms wide open and inviting you to check out all of the ways that we could potentially partner together at kyliepatchett.com.au. That's my website for the podcast and also one-on-one and group programs in midlife mentorship, yoga and breath work in specifically designed uh, menopause classes online. And also super excitingly, a list of retreats around Australia that I have been blessed to partner with some pretty darn spectacular humans (laughs) who also help midlife mavens through this transition point so if you are looking for some support some community some tools um, just a safe place to actually reconnect to who you are what you want and come home to your own power and magnificence i would love to welcome you into any one of those containers so head on over to kyliepatchett.com.au and i will be back in your ears very very soon